You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Well, good morning. Thank, thank you so much, Pastor Dave. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, well, it's been a real privilege to be here at Cathedral. Um, your church gets it done. Um, just uh, with the amount of volunteers and the, and the kindness I've been showing. It's been awesome last night. We had a good time. Uh, if you have your Bible, take it and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to look. Um, as was mentioned, I do run an organization called the Center for Truth and Love. But before I get to that, um, I want to make you aware of something that happened, a Guinness record. In fact, you're probably already aware of this Guinness World Record that occurred back in March of 2021. Are you aware of this? The cutest baby that has ever been born in the history of the world. Uh, my son Cranston, uh, this is a picture of him. Um, but we, we like him. This is my firstborn. We've been married 15 years. And after that, God gave us this wonderful gift. And uh, so it kind of introduces what we're going to talk about today, be, becoming a new parent. Um, I have always had a passion for equipping parents to equip the next generation with the biblical worldview. But specifically today, I want to talk about biblical worldview parenting. And um, I, uh, like, I, I've noticed, how many, how many are parents in here? Just, just curious, how many are parents? All right, good. Uh, how many know that kids are great? Kids are great. How many know kids are perfect? They never do anything wrong. There's never any problems. It's really, e- I mean, parenting is really easy. Um, how many know, how many have changed diapers before? If you've done that, yes, yeah. How many know there's a difference between a stinky diaper and a dirty diaper? Yeah. You don't want the stinky ones. That's the one you get your spouse to change, right? Uh, no, we share in that. But I know there's a stinky diaper my wife is changing when I hear these words in our house. Shoo-wee! Stinky, stinky. That's what Cranston's mom says, my wife Mackenzie. That's what she says. Shoo-wee! There's a mess when you hear shoo-wee. Have you looked at our culture recently? I don't recommend watching the news, but have you watched it ever? Have you seen what's happening? Shoo-wee! Stinky, stinky. Can I get an amen? Oh, man. You know, in the middle of that mess, I just wish that there was someone who was in control, don't you? Feels like it sometimes that there's not, but it'd sure be great. Wouldn't it be great if that person who was in control knew everything. And wouldn't it be great if he would write a book to tell us what to do in the middle of the mess? Wouldn't that be great? Parents, grandparents, young adults, kids, there's a book written by God himself to help us understand the world that he made. That's what we're going to look today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Tell you a little bit about the organization I lead. It's called the Center for Truth in Love. And that comes right from Ephesians chapter 
uh, 4 verse 15 where the Bible says, in a culture tossed back and forth with every claim to truth by, the, by lies and deceit, the Bible has a solution and it is speaking truth in a loving way. And I've noticed there's a lot of Christians that want to be loving, hopefully you're one of them. But unfortunately, some Christians take culture's definition of love and they never speak about any controversial issue. They're like, well, I've got to be quiet, that's what love means. And And how many know that a good definition of love, if you really love someone, when they're going the wrong direction, sometimes you have to speak with compassion. On the other hand, there's those Christians that that, uh, do speak, but they don't speak with any love and they're so unkind you wish they would be silent. Have you ever run into that person before? All right, God hasn't called us to silence, but he also hasn't called us to unkindness. He's called us to speak the truth in a loving way. And so our organization exists to equip believers on a theological discipline called apologetics, the evidences for how we know the Bible is true. Biblical worldview, that's thinking with scripture or or looking at the world through the lens of scripture. And the Bible speaks to so much truth in our world. And then lastly, what we call cultural engagement. How do I tell Take God's never-changing truth to an always-changing world. And so today, to that end, I want to equip you as a parent to think about biblical worldview shaping. And one of the unfortunate things that, that has derived, which isn't biblical, is that in Scripture we see the parents passing truth on to the parents passing truth on. And you know that grandparents are called to be an active uh, spiritual guide to their grandchildren. Now, now, the parents are the parents. Um, it's not your job to parent the child unless, you know, the parent's not involved. Anyway, but, but it's not your job to overtake, but at the same time, you're still a guy. And what I want to talk specifically today about are seven deficits that exist with Generation Z, the, the post-millennial generation, those that are basically under the age of 20 right now. And so we're going to look at some of that today, and, um, and I think it'll be a huge help to you, and then some Bible help. Are you ready? Man, this, this crowd's got some energy that the first service didn't have. Don't tell them I said that. Uh, but uh, we, we're thankful for both, energy or not. I'm glad you're here. Let's ask for God's help. But before we do, let's, let's read this passage here, and then I want to ask for God's help, and then we'll jump into this. Are you ready? Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and you can look down at verse 6. Here's what the Bible says to do in the middle of trouble. And understand, the book of 1 Peter was written to persecuted Christians. They were living out their faith, and all of a sudden people weren't patronizing their business. They were being persecuted. Man, we we see some of that today. Now, just so you know, just because someone says something nasty to you on social media, that does not mean you're being persecuted, all right? But we're seeing the beginnings of some of that. Hey, you, you don't support this agenda, we'll come and shut your business down. Hey, we're, and, and so we're seeing the beginnings of that. So in a culture that's mixed, that's tossed back and forth with every claim to truth, what does the Bible say? First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Here's we go. Here's what it said. Thou shalt go into thine basement and lock the door and watch only Fox News and Newsmax. For in, Do you know that is some believer's response to the brokenness of our culture? If I watch enough news, I'm somehow going to fix it. And I'm telling you, the solution is the word, not watching the news. My pastor says this. He goes, you know when Hannity comes on the second time? I don't watch it the first time. But he says, you know when Hannity comes on the second time, it's the same as the first. 
He goes, turn the TV off and get on your knees and pray. Are you preaching too much, pastor, people? That's a good word, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, God's solution when we are being persecuted, when our faith is being challenged, he says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who had called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to look at verse 8. It says to be aware because the devil is walking about like a fairy blessing everybody. What does it say? Like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Can I tell you, there is a spiritual battle for the next generation and their lives are at stake. That's what we're going to look at today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will guide this time. And Lord, I pray that every parent Every grandparent, every teenager, every young child, every uh, single adult uh, in this service would be reminded of the lies that are being perpetrated in our culture and would be also reminded that the truth of your word is the solution to untruth. Might you anoint this time, might your spirit do a work that no man can to the glory of Jesus. We ask these things. Amen. Several years ago, before we started the Center for Truth and Love, I was a youth pastor, and for whatever reason, I learned that kids like all-night activities. I don't understand the appeal. I like to go to bed at night. But they love it, all-night activities. And I remember we were doing this one all-night activity. At about 10 o'clock, I called all of the teenagers uh, up to the loft in the gym at the church, and I start passing out rolls of toilet paper. And you've never seen middle school boys so excited to have a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, in just a few minutes, we're going to get into a bunch of vans, and we're going to head over to Mr. Brian Washer's house. And we're going to disseminate this toilet paper in his trees, on the bushes, in the yard, over his house. This is going to be an amazing time. Oh, man, they were excited. Yeah, we're going to go teepee Mr. Brian Washer's house. So we pile on a bunch of vans and start heading over. Now, I was in charge of the calendar of the church, and I had double booked. That night, I had also planned a men's activity. This was occurring at Mr. Brian Washer's house. <laughs> it started at about 10 p.m., and this event involved buckets of water, hoses, squirt guns, and water balloons. And the goal was to lure these unsuspecting teenagers into the yard and soak them from head to toe. Whew, some of you going, man, if you're preaching at this church, I don't know if I'm going to send my kid to VBS there. I don't know what could happen. Watch out. So we, you know, I pull up to the house, and of course, I have the problem kids get out of the van first. Hey, Joey, this event was designed with you in mind. You go first, buddy. <laughs> and so these 
students descend on the lawn, and I remember driving up to the top of the hill, parking and running down as fast as I can because I don't want to miss a second of this. Other kids are getting out of other vans. And as I'm running down the hill, I hear this blood-curdling scream coming from Brian's backyard. And two girls, Paige and Ashley, had found their way around the backside, and they were met by two deacons with two buckets of water who soaked those girls. And about half the men of the church came out this way. The other half came this way. And they caught these kids in a crossfire of water. There's an old hymn called, Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled My Soul. It was water came down and filled their soul. It was amazing. You say, that is terrible. That is so unkind. How could you do that? Well, at least we didn't shoot, right? Uh, but, but, uh, Clearly, you don't know teenagers, and if you're feeling that way. Um, but, but here's the thing. Before any of the students even came or went on this, I made sure every single one of them had a complete change of clothes so they weren't spending the rest of the night soaked. And then as soon as that was over, we went over to everyone's uh, house, or we went over to various houses and went swimming. That was a harmless prank that wound up being fun, and most, most of the students liked it. But it was done through deception. I lured them into the yard with an idea of fun. And then later came the real plan. They discovered the real truth later. That's exactly how the devil operates. Understand that there is a battle for the souls of the next generation. And if there is a spiritual battle, it is our responsibility as believers to understand the tactics of the enemy. We've got to understand how the devil is operating. And we know from Scripture that while you shouldn't murder, the devil's not the father of murder. He's not the father of theft. What does the Bible say if you know? He's the father of lies. See, the devil works through deception. And so if I'm a parent, not only do I need to know the tactics of the enemy, but the next question I need to be asking is what lies are the devil or is the devil telling my child? I need to be asking this. I need to be ready and prepared and equipped to protect them and prepare them for these lies. Now, we know from the book of Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, the devil's been lying from the beginning, and he's going to continue to lie. However, there are different expressions of those fundamental lies. Those are new. And so it is the responsibility of each generation to discern those new versions of old lies. How do we do it? And so I believe today I want to give you seven deficits, seven things that Generation Z does not know. And I would say this really extends to culture at large. If you are confused about what in the world is happening, I believe this will give you some clarity, and then I'm going to end by looking into the pages of Scripture for some solutions. Does that work for you? All right, here we go. Line number one. This is a generation that does not know who they are. They don't know who they are. You say, what do you mean by that? Oh, really fast, just some generational demographics. I keep using the term Gen Z. Has anybody ever heard that term before, Gen Z? What we're talking about is people born from about uh, 2000 to about 2020. And so you have Gen uh, Gen X, uh, Gen 
gen generation Y, that would be the millennial generation, that's my generation. Then you have Gen Z, and then you say, oh, well, what ends? You know, we don't have any more. My son was born in 2021, so he would be an alpha. So they're going with the Greek alphabet, so it'd be alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, uh, and et cetera. Or it all just comes crashing with down with Gen Z, I don't know, because they're the final one. But, but, but at any rate, so that's what I'm talking about when I use the term millennial, Gen Z, baby boomer. We're talking about generational dem demographics. And so I'm looking, and some of the research I've done has, has utilized this, and one of the things that, that I've recognized is that, number one, Gen Z doesn't know who they are. Now, I mean this in a literal sense. I mean, literally, they don't know what a human is. Have you ever heard someone say literally, but they don't mean it? I'm so hungry, I could literally eat a cow. Literally? Like, do you know what that word means? I mean literally in the real sense. I mean, this is a generation that doesn't know what a human is, that doesn't know what a man is or what a woman is. Let me give you some of the background of this. In the 1960s, we made a decision in public education to remove God and the Bible from public education. This is incredibly problematic because that void leaves an atheistic leaning to everything that is taught. You say, why do you say that? Because every time you talk about science but never talk about the God that made the world that measures science, you're ignoring him. You do that for 12 years, a kid wakes up and goes, well, maybe there isn't a God. When you talk about history for 12 years, but never acknowledge the divine hand that has guided in every step of human history, uh, when you start talking about language, something that God created, when you start to talk about all these things that God made in his world and ignore him, all of a sudden that creates a large amount of confusion. In the 1960s, what we saw was a massive peak in depression. Why? Because there was no purpose or meaning to life because there was no God directing the universe. The purpose, and so what happened was a guy named Nathaniel Braden came up with this uh, concept that he called self-esteem. You go back to the 1950s and look in the dictionary, you'll find the word self, you'll find the word esteem, but you won't find the two hyphenated together. And unfortunately, Christians have adopted this terminology um, but what Christians mean by it is not what Nathaniel Braden meant by it from the beginning. What he meant, without God, a person can love themselves and derive purpose and value through self-love. But the Bible teaches he must increase and I must decrease. In the 1970s, the number of peer-reviewed journal articles written on the subject of self-esteem doubled on an annual basis. So what happened was in the 1980s, the millennial generation enters the public school. Their teachers are all trained to teach self-esteem. And in 1992, Roy Baumeister at the University of Greenwich in England did a study about the effects of self-esteem and found that, that, that uh, teaching it could cure many social ills was completely false, is what his study found. Dr. Gene Twenge of San Diego State University, the premier sociologist of the millennial generation, calls them the most narcissistic generation in the history of the world. No, I take issue with that because I'm a millennial and I think I'm awesome. <laughs> See, what happened was is we created a lie that actually debilitated the workplace performance of the millennial generation. Average job retention for millennials is nine months. They've, scientists have, have literally documented what they call a quarter-life crisis. This is when we millennials think that we're all going to be the next president of the United States, but realize in our 20s that that math doesn't really work out. This is when we realize that 
you actually have to work to get a paycheck. You don't get a participation paycheck. It's a challenge. This is a real thing. But what we did is we lowered academic standards so we wouldn't hurt anyone's self-esteem. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we're already broken, and the only way we can have value is by understanding that we are image bearers of God, and that God loved the image that he created in us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for our place and redeem us. That's why every single life has value. Not because we self-love, but because God loved us first. That's where real value comes from. Well, this lie uh, was perpetuated, and so unfortunately, a whole generation uh, was debilitated by this. In fact, the National Academy of Science in 2002 changed the definition of adolescence. Adolescence used to be puberty to age 18. It's now puberty to age 30. You're like 29, and you're still an adolescent. So what do you do when you get something wrong? What you should do is correct it, right? But unfortunately, our culture is missing it, and rather than correcting what is wrong, we delve into even more untruth. In the mid-90s, there was a guy named Michael Kimmel writing on some things about how to make this, this uh, salvific to, to switch from self-esteem to something new. He said, you know what, I think the main problem is the identity that humans have. He said, we used to consider humanness to be male and female, but he goes, I believe that it's something different. He says, gender is the way you perceive the way you live in this world, so you could be a man but perceive yourself to be a woman. In 2000, from, 2002, from 1998 to about 2002, journal articles compiled from all over were put in this book called Sex, Gender, and Sexuality, The New Basics, published by Oxford Press. So we're talking late 90s, early 2000s. I want you to see some of these journal articles because it will help you understand what's being said 20 years later. Look at this article by James Messerschmidt. It's called Goodbye to Gender Distinctions. Here's what he writes. Gender is achieved. I don't know about you, but when Cranston was born, we walked to the hospital, and there was, you know, we'd go to the room, and on his room it said, it's a boy. And on the room a little further down, it said, it's a girl. And I'll never forget thinking that, going, those, those signs won't last long because they're politically incorrect, even though they are factually true. He says gender is achieved through the application and social acceptance of identifactory characteristics that proclaim one as male or as female. In other words, you decide the way you behave. Here's what Chris Ingraham writes in her article. Just look at the title of this article. Heterosexuality, it's just not natural. Every farm in America would disagree. <laughs> it would. And here's what she writes as she concludes the article, her final sentences. Rendering one form of sociosexual relations as dominant by constructing it as natural is both contradictory and violent. Then she says, in other words, the heterosexuality we learn to think of as natural is anything but, period, end of article. And I don't know about you, but I'm severely bothered by the fact that she ended the article with a conjunction. 
But I am even more concerned by this upheaval of humanness because what she is claiming is that this is science, but her research was into the sales practices of the diamond and dress industry. In other words, a total non sequitur. Her alleged research had nothing to do with heterosexuality, had nothing to do with it, did no research regarding this, and then makes this claim, and this is why, church, we have to be aware as Christians that when people use the term science, do they mean an investigation into the world, or do they mean something that is the opinion of scientists? There's a difference, and this is total conjecture. There's no factual underlying basis in this article. You can go and look it up yourself. Lastly, Judith Lorber's article, she writes, with all the diversities and divisions of gender identities and gender practices, the ultimate paradox is that gender systems are still binary or two. In other words, it's strange that we would say male and female. That's why you can go to Facebook today and choose over 60 different gender expressions. Now, what's interesting about every one of those is really there's only two or a variation of those two. All gender expressions are still based on male or female. Now here's what I want you to tell you is that is a lie that you can be something that God did not create you to be. From the beginning, God created two kinds of people. You say, oh Ben, I know the two kinds of people, black people and white people. Incorrect. In fact, there are only two kinds of people, and it amazes me how we draw lines where God did not and how we put together what God separated. From the beginning, God made human, and we don't separate people by hair color. We don't separate people by eye color. Why would we separate people by skin color? Now, I can celebrate God's diversity. Aren't you thankful for it? I am. I'm glad God made people of all different kinds of skin color. It's a beautiful expression of variety for which I'm thankful, but I don't go, you this color go over here, you this color over here, or even identify by that. I'm just a man or just a woman. But what amazes me is we go the other way. Do you know that God had an adjective that he used for his creation from the beginning? After every day, do you know what he said? It's good. Over and over again in Genesis 1. You can go and look at it. Genesis 2, verse 18. Adam has named all the animals. He gets to the very end of his job, and all of a sudden there is not found another helpmate for it. In Genesis 2, 18, all of a sudden we find the first not good thing in the creation. It is not good that man should be alone. Why is that? God in his infinite power could have made two men or two women uh, and reproduce if he wanted to, but he didn't. He made two separately and God values both. There's two kinds of people, man and woman, and God's creation of that, he praises that. But all of a sudden our culture says, no, a woman can be a man and a man can be a woman. Well, if that's true, neither have value and neither have identity. But I believe, I don't know about you, but I believe women have value. I uh, have a rental property in Pensacola, and uh, we just were new to this, and we put four Navy pilots just out of college staying in this house, all men. I can tell you Genesis 2.18 is true. 
It is not good that man should be alone. <laughs> See, this is what is sad is we have devalued womanhood by saying it really is essentially nothing but an opinion. Do you know who really value? You know what toxic masculinity is? Toxic masculinity is saying a woman can be a man. That's toxic. Toxic femininity is saying a man can be a woman. But what is true is that God designed two kinds from the very beginning and his creation is good. I hope it's okay that I said that because that is not popular in some places. But you know what? Here's, here's what I'm thank you. I agree. She goes, but it's correct. But here's what I want you to see. It's not loving to affirm what's not true. It isn't. And so with compassion and love, we need to say this is true. And because I love you, you need to know that God values the gift of that God values the gift of man and has a purpose for each. <laughs> they don't know who they are, point number one. Well, we got six more. We'll give you, I know somebody looking at the watch going, well, you better hurry. <laughs> you know, I just parked there a little bit today because I felt like our culture needs to hear what is true about humanness. And we've got to start celebrating what God did in that division. All right. Thank you. Number two, and we'll go quickly. Because they don't know who they are, and we'll spend most of their, our time on point one and two, because they don't know who they are, number two, they don't know how to find the truth. Now, I, I spent a little more time on this before, but, but let me tell you, it erodes. You know what erosion is, right? Rational thought. You know what rational thought is, right? That has to be defined in our culture. But it erodes rational thought to say a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man. So what we have is a generation that literally cannot look at their anatomy to identify themselves. So then the next question is, how can I determine if anything is true? How do I know if anything's true? I can't find the truth anymore. I'm totally lost as to what is true because some scientists told me, make up the truth. Whatever you make up is true. And man, that is utter confusion. Let me show you a video very quickly of a young woman who cannot define right and wrong because you have to have truth to do so. This was the question I asked her, Union Square Park in New York City, how do you define right and wrong? Take a listen. How do you define right and wrong? Right and wrong, I guess, are just dependent on varies because it's all cultural at the end of the day what right and wrong is in certain cultures and certain views so I don't believe there is a right or wrong sometimes I'm not sure I don't have a way to define it because so many people define it in so many other ways so it's just like I guess it's just subjective I have no, I have no definition for it right now do you have any money on you right now? yeah if I stole that money from you, would you consider that to be wrong? I mean, for sure, sure, I'd clock you, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it also, it also depends. It just depends. But in, I feel like it's just like... There's a term for it that I learned. It's just like you never know what position someone was in, why they would have taken that... If you had taken that money from me, so then... I don't 
wrong. In my eyes, it could have been wrong, but then in your eyes, it could have been right because you needed it the most. Oh. It was just sitting down in my bag. I'm not using it, but then you could probably need it. Yeah, but at the same time, though, it's wrong, though, because he's, he's stealing it. Yeah, yeah, but this is what I'm saying, though. Fundamental attribution error. You can't just assume that they're being wrong for taking it. They probably, like, absolutely needed it to live. So in the time for them, it could have just been right that he needed to take the money. So you're saying to me how, that, how do you have something to say now, so, my guy? Because he actually gave me examples, so now I have something to, to respond to. Okay. So you're saying to me that she was to go to a random person and just, you know, take something out the back, or if anybody was just to do that, you're gonna automatically say, you know, huh, they're probably hungry or they really need it, so it's okay, so it's not wrong. To I'm not do. saying it's okay. I'm just saying there's a reasoning to it why they would think it's right and why I would think it's wrong. So it's all just relative. And varies by situation what's right and what's wrong. Well, that being said, in your situation, well, from from your eyes, that might you know that might work out. But let's say authority, that's not gonna that's not gonna work out. Yeah, in but the that's same just way. based on your idea of authority and American. Authority. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. This is this is not a mean, nasty young lady. She's just deceived and doesn't know what right and wrong is. This is what lies do. They confuse us about what is true. And so she heard something in a school somewhere that someone called the fundamental attribution error, but that's not true. The truth is, is that there is right and there is wrong, and the Bible determines and gives us clarity as to what those are. But when you tell a kid you can choose whatever you want to be, they don't have the capacity to discern right from wrong. It's eroded. They don't have that ability. And we have to do that and understand that the Bible teaches us that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. That the mind is something that must be used to bring glory to God. And our discernment is the capacity to understand rational thought. We have to have this. And you know what? There may be some young people in here today, I do want to address this, that may be going, well, isn't that how, I mean, how can we know what right and wrong is? And here's the reality was what he brought up at the end. He goes, well, what about authority? See, understand most Christians or, or, or our culture thinks that, you know, the devil's attack is him running around poking people in the rear end with a pitchfork. That's not demonic activity. Demonic activity, you always can recognize it, it is when the authority of God is challenged. Why? Because the devil challenged the authority of God from the beginning. That's why he was kicked out of heaven. Oh, you're not really God. And here's what this attack does. By saying that truth can just be determined by anyone, there's no authority. There has to be authority. In fact, the world doesn't function that way. In fact, that's why I said, what if I came and took that out of your purse? She said, well, I beat the stuffings out of you. That's my words, but that's what she meant. Why? Because it's not right for me to take it, and she knows that. She knows it. But our culture has deceived her as to what right and wrong is. So this is a generation that doesn't know who they are. They don't know what is right and wrong. And because they don't know what is right and wrong, they don't know how to love. See, what do you mean? To have love. Or you cannot have love unless you have truth. Because truth is what defines love. Let me give an example. End of the service, I just walk around saying hello to people and I just start punching people in the face. 
Pastor Dave comes over to me. He goes, yo, Ben, I don't know what you do back in Pensacola, but at our church, we don't punch people in the face. I said, oh, no, you don't understand. This is how I express love. Pastor Dave, you do you, I'll do me. You say, no, 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 that's crazy, man. When you punch someone in the face, that's not an expression of love. How do you know that? Because you know what is true about what love is. But you can't have truth or you can't have love unless you have a truthful definition of love. And when our culture, what amazes me, it's the people in our culture that go, man, I can't believe we're losing love. Our culture needs more love. The reason why it needs love is because you have abandoned the truth. And people are just making up any definition of love that they want. See, understand we have to have the, the truth about love. Now also understand that giving the truth without love is meaningless. You say, what do you mean? Because the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians 13 that I can give my body to be burned. I can give all my goods to feed the poor. I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. But if I don't have charity, I am nothing. See, here's the thing, is that truth must be spoken with love. It's not that we do one or the other. And some people say, well, you've got to balance the truth and love. We don't give 50% love and 50% truth. We give 100% of both. They don't know. Okay, so those two, we got five more, but we'll go through the last five really fast. Are you ready? Just buckle your seatbelt. You can watch it again in the live stream if you miss it. Okay, so here we go. They, they don't know who they are. Because they don't know who they are, they don't know how to find the truth. Because they don't know how to find the truth, um, they, they don't know... Oh, what's the next one? Uh, skip it. Uh, they, they don't know how to love. Because they don't know how to love, they don't know how uh, to disagree and we, we've, or make moral judgments. So we just saw that. Here, here she can't make moral judgments because of that. Because you can't make moral judgments, you don't know how to disagree. We have lost positive discussion in our culture. Uh, y- yesterday, um, I saw some people protesting. I totally disagreed with what I saw but I was thankful that they were allowed to protest. That's a Christian ethic. You say, why? Because we as Christians believe that we hold the ultimate truth because it has been delivered to us by God through his word. So it will be apparent in the world that we're in. I love a marketplace of ideas. I'd love an opportunity to speak what is true. You can speak whatever you want because in a marketplace of ideas, the more that, that we get voices out, the more the truth is going to rise to the top. But what we're seeing in our culture is a total shutdown of any idea that isn't left of center. That's not healthy. That's not good. We need healthy debate. So I'm thankful that even though I disagreed with those people, I'm glad they had the freedom to speak. They're not allowed to disagree. I know Cranston's saying that right now somewhere. Mommy. Well, you hear your son and every child, right? Uh, that, so they don't know how to disagree. Tolerance has, has be, been redefined as a left of center position that, rather than a way of dealing with someone that disagrees with you. But then they, because they don't know how to disagree, they don't know how to handle failure. So we create these safe spaces on college campuses because students don't know what is true, and so they don't know how to find the truth, they don't know how to get to it, and then there's a total meltdown, and we have seen a massive suicide jump in Generation Z. Don't have time to get into that, but then lastly, they don't know how to live by an external creed or an objective truth. 
So in other words, the Bible is cast to the side, and all of my life is subjective. Whatever I value, whatever I say, I do me, follow your heart, all of these things. Do you know, the last thing we want the next generation to do is follow their heart. Have you ever felt two different ways on the same day? I mean, on the same day. What about the same hour? And we're saying, hey, just go and follow your heart. Why? Because the last thing the devil wants them to do is follow the ultimate source of truth. I mean, in the middle of this mess, I wish someone would write a book. Hey, let's take some seconds as we conclude our service to look at Bible solutions to these problems. Are you okay with that as we conclude? Here, let's look at this. 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verse 6. It says this, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Can I tell you two things? One, it is not us that are going to be the solution. We talk about people fighting the culture wars. I don't know what people mean by that, but I know Christians are fighting a spiritual war and our, our, the victor of the battle is not going to be the Christian, it is going to be the God of the Christian. He fights for us. So what we have to say, well I got the answers, I've got this. No, no. Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God. But secondly, not only is it him, but he has a mighty hand. I am persuaded, Romans chapter 12, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus. God has the power. So if you're a parent here and you're freaking out, you should be. Because there's some scary things about the next generation, aren't there? And it's time for some parents to wake up and go, this battle is real. There's some grandparents that need to go, I need to give my grandchild more than a piece of candy. I have to give them a biblical worldview. This problem is real. We've got to wake up. However, I can tell you, once you're awake, don't be afraid. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He has the power. I get excited about this stuff. Trust God, he is in control. But number two, we've got to begin to pray for our children like there's a battle. Look at verse seven. It says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. I don't, when I'm home, and Mackenzie does this when I'm gone, but when I'm home, I don't put Krantz in the bed without praying over him. And here you say, how do I pray for my children? One of the things the Lord has directed me to pray is we know that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. So that's what I pray. I say, God, would you increase his wisdom, help him to grow in his mind? Would you increase his stature, his physical being, protect his body, help him not to get sick, help him to grow? Help him to increase in favor with you. God, would he, would he come to knowledge of you at a, as a young, very young soul and that have a relationship with you and help him to have favor with his fellow man? Help him not to be a jerk. <laughs> help him to be a compassionate person, a loving person. What a good prayer to pray every day for each one of my children. God, would they increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with you and with others? We've got to begin to start praying for our children and our grandchildren. Uh, number three, we've got to teach the truth. So number one, we humble ourselves, trust God. Number two, we pray. But number three, we've got to teach the truth. Look at verse nine. It says this, whom resists steadfast in the faith. This phrase, the faith, has the idea of the encompassing truth of the Christian life. We resist the devil, not with our intellect, but with the truth of the Bible. What does that require then? 
It requires us to equip the next generation with the truth. I, uh, when I was 17, I worked at Dairy Queen. One hot summer night, we ran out of ice cream. Can I tell you a Dairy Queen with no ice cream is an embarrassment? I have lived that embarrassment. But can I tell you a Christian parent not able to contextualize the truth of the Word of God and pass it on to their children is like a Dairy Queen without ice cream. Now, I'm going to tell you something that bothers me. This is a little pet peeve of mine. But when parents maybe see their kid walk away from the faith and they use this phrase, I raised my kid in the church. Well, whose responsibility was it to teach the kid? Because it seems like what you're saying is it's only... Pastor Dave's responsibility, or it was only Pastor Mike, or it was only one of the other church leadership here. It was only their job. And, and I don't know about you, but it says, fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't want to raise my child in church community, but it is the parent that must be equipped to give the truth. But often what I see is the parents not prepared. So if they're not equipped, how can they pass it on to the next generation? We got a bunch of Dairy Queens with no ice cream. (laughs) The issues that the next generation are facing are significant. And so we must find Bible truth to speak them. And do you know it is all around us? I want to set up Pastor Mike's message next week as I conclude with this story. But you say, Ben, how do I teach my child the truth? You use it in the world he made. It is a great stage for teaching his truth. Let me give you an example right here in Charleston. This is what you should do. I had one of the most emphatic experiences of my entire life last night. You're saying, yeah, I know. Lunch with, uh, or dinner with Pastor Dave's pretty intense. That was not it, but it was a close second, right? But no, I mean, this was, I mean, not the most, but certainly one of, we're, we're driving downtown to Charleston. I've never been here before, and I've been a lot of places, so I was really just trying to soak it all in. You have a beautiful city. And we come up there, and he goes, oh, right over here is the slave market. I'm like, the what? <laughs> well, come to find out, this is where the slaves went and, bu- and bought food and things like that. And, and uh, they, they were even sold on the dock, and I'm like, oh, this is, I mean, like, obviously, I know this, but it's like, and then we took a, a, a left, and we're driving down. And he's talking, and they're talking. I mean, it was a surreal experience for me. I would tell you, my heart was broken that our nation could have done something like that. This is an image bearer of God, and we treated him like an animal, God forbid. So we're driving there, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm like, why wasn't this place torn down like the Berlin Wall? I can't believe it's still standing there. And so I, I'm just gripped by, by the sadness of all that happened there. And as we continue to drive down, we get to the end of the road. And across the street's a courthouse. There's a group of about 50 to 70 women all standing there protesting. Now understand, I support their right to protest. But I will say this. It was so sad that they're protesting steps away from literally a monument that identifies 
the wrongness of, of mistakes of not recognizing God's image in a person. And they're over here saying, my body, my choice. Not recognizing that the body inside of them is also an image bearer of God. And I thought, oh, steps away. And I thought, oh, how good the devil is at lying. And what we must do is teach the next generation, hey, look at this. We have made mistakes in the past, and that is wrong. But it doesn't mean that God cannot give us grace for the future. And it doesn't mean that we can't see through the lies and say every human is an image bearer of God. So now you have a responsibility as a parent. You've got to go and teach that children and all people are image bearers of God. And you have an opportunity to do that right in Charleston. This is how we raise the next generation. I hope you'll be back with us next week where Pastor Mike talks about the, the truth behind this lie of, of abortion in our culture. Because as the church, we have to stand and say, look, I love everybody. I value autonomy. But because I value that autonomy. I value the separate life that is in a mother. And uh, I care about that life before it's born. I care about that life after it's born. I care about life because God cares about life. Heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help us in this time as we end this service. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you a question. Who would say this? Ben, as a parent, I was aware that there were issues. As a grandparent, I was aware that there are issues, but I am more aware now. And I am, I am committing today to be more dedicated to be praying and teaching my child or grandchild. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up all across this room? I'd like to pray for you. Many like that, they say, I was challenged to do even a better job. Heavenly Father, you see these hands. Lord, I pray that you will work in these hearts, that these would be hands that represent children that are equipped with the truth of your word, contextualized and helped. And I ask all of these things in Jesus' name, the one who has the power uh, to equip and to help us equip the next generation. Amen and amen. Hey, thank you for your wonderful attention today. Let me give you a few things from our ministry that will be a help to you. The first is called uh, a book that I wrote on how to speak the truth in love. It's an e-book, and if you take your phone out, you can get this book for absolutely free by texting the word PREPARED to the number 33777. Again, that's PREPARED to 33777, and that will get you a book on how to speak the truth in a loving way. You say, Ben, I'm not a big reader. It is packed with videos because it's all digital, so there's a lot of videos in it as well, so really a great instruction tool. Then the second thing I want to give you is our website, uh, the Center for Truth and Love.org. You can also follow me on social media. I talk about a lot of these issues. Maybe it helped you. But our website is chock full of videos. It has... Um, archived our television show on there and those are all places that you can get phenomenal resources for equipping your children to speak truth in love. Then on our table in the back we do have one um, resource that we ask a donation for. All of this is free by the way that you can get on the website. We do have one resource it's called Gospel Evidences. And do you know that there is evidence that underpins the, the message of the gospel? We can know that God exists. We can know that the Bible is reliable. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Did Jesus rise from the dead? We dig into some of these very difficult questions. 30-minute videos, nine lessons, so 
nine 30-minute lessons, all with notes and everything. We will email that to you, and uh, you can get that for a donation of any amount. If you're looking for a, a general target, $25 to $35, you can get more if you want, less if you want, but that could be an additional resource, gospel evidences, and you can get that in the back. Uh, isn't our God good? And uh, aren't, aren't you grateful that we now get to speak his truth in a loving way? Thank you, Church Cathedral, so much for the opportunity of being here, for your kindness to me. Pastor Dave, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak. I sure appreciate it. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.